I'm Dr. Jill Weiner. I'm a white woman, a doctor, a meditation teacher, a tapping practitioner, a writer, and I'm an aspiring anti-racist, an identity which I must constantly strive towards, work on, and reevaluate. This podcast amplifies the powerful voices of women and men in all aspects of the anti-racist space, along with some of my own insights and explorations on topic ranging from healthcare to spirituality to criminal justice and beyond. In order to provide a nuanced, educational, and honest examination of systemic racism and dominant culture. So today's episode, um, I want to just give a little trigger warning for anybody listening um, who um, the story is going to involve someone, um, a black woman being um, harassed and mistreated on an airplane. So um, if this feels like it might be too uh, more intense than you're ready for right now, um, please feel free to to not listen or to come back again later. Um, I wanted to tell a story about something that happened to me just this past weekend on my way up to uh, Connecticut with my fam. Um, And not just to share the story, because I think it needs to be shared and I think there needs to be accountability, but also to kind of help show how it illustrates some of the the ways that racism... um, the, the, the culture of racism is so pervasive um, and how that showed up on the airplane. So I will try to be brief. Um, if you want to see the, I have a video of the full, of the full encounter on my Instagram account, Instagram account, which is at Jill Wiener MD. Um, so you can check that out um, that I posted on Saturday, which was uh, two days ago, November 5th. Um, so you can check that out. But basically what happened is um the flight, we were on a really small plane in the back of the plane. The flight attendant uh, was giving her safety talk as we were taxiing to the runway. And there was a 60, 70 year old. I, I think one of the people on the plane told me she said she was 75. So we'll say she's a 75 year old black woman <clears throat> sitting two seats in front of me, two rows in front of me. And in the middle of her safety spiel, the flight attendant goes over and says, ma'am, are you okay? And the woman's like, yeah, I'm fine. I don't understand. And basically what happened is I guess maybe the black woman turned around and looked at the flight attendant during her talk and the flight attendant somehow perceived that the black woman was like giving her a nasty look or, or, you know, being rude in some way. And I was sitting in between the two of them. I did not see anything. And I was actually just kind of staring straight ahead during the safety talk. Um, so the flight attendant then proceeded to continue to harass this woman um, for the next like 10 minutes saying, I saw you do this. You, you, you turned back. I looked at you. I came over to see if you were okay. And and like kept going. And the woman's like, I don't understand. Excuse me. I don't understand why you're, why you're singling me out. Like, I'm fine. You're embarrassing me. I'm embarrassed. Like, what's the story? I'm okay. And the flight attendant was going on and on say, well, I know we were delayed, but you know, and the woman says, I don't care that we were delayed. Like take as long as you need to get the plane safe. I just want the plane to be safe. She literally was the the flight attendant was inventing something out of nothing and it continued to escalate. And I did speak up at several points during the story, which isn't necessarily the point of this post, but I did speak up at several points privately to the flight attendant. And then in other ways, um, everyone else around us was, was clearly uncomfortable. We thought it was resolved and then we stopped taxiing and turned back around. And um, at some point, the woman, the black woman started to make a phone call after she had been like repeatedly harassed. I, I, I'm imagining this is not 
having lived in her shoes, that she was just upset and wanting to talk to somebody, not feeling safe. And she had been recording the incident as well. Um, and the flight attendant came over and said, you know, please turn your phone off. Are you making a call? Please turn it off. So then like, no one thinks anything of anything else other than like, we're super uncomfortable and it was horrible. And everyone around the woman was saying, wow, that was horrible. You didn't deserve that. And then we turn around and we stop and then they take us back to the gate and no one tells us why. And then the like Delta police, basically, like it wasn't a, a law enforcement, but it was someone who was wearing a Delta uniform came in and asked the woman to get off the plane with him. And I was like, no, you can. And he said, do you want to get off the plane too? And I said, no, I just want to make sure she's treated fairly. And he said, we're not kicking her off. We're just going to have a conversation with her. So I was like, okay, like, what am I going to do? And he said, he's not kicking her off, but she never came back on. He came back on the plane. He, um, you know, pointed his finger, chastised uh, a white passing man who was sitting across the aisle from the black woman who had also gotten a call or made a call while we were on, you know, taxiing. So the same, the same potential actual um, issue. Um, and he said, that's not going to happen, right? You're fine. We're fine. That's not going to happen again. So if the excuse was, and, and so the black woman never came back on the plane. So if the excuse was because she made a phone call, um, the man across the aisle from her did the same and he didn't get kicked off the flight. And it was really horrible because we all felt, I think I, I, you know, I, I did try to speak up. I spoke to the flight attendant who, who switched the original one went up to first class and the other one came back to us. I spoke to her. I spoke to the pilot on my way out, but we're like trapped on an airplane and it's like, they could do whatever they want. And I understand that, that airline uh, employees have been dealing with complete crap for the last two years. So I get that like, their threshold for escalating would be increased or decreased, I guess. Um, but this woman literally did nothing wrong. And so there's the, the reason. So if first off, if this story has not yet made the news uh, and this is going to be released tomorrow. So if you have not yet heard about this story on the news, please do share this podcast widely and please do connect me. Um, share it with someone who, if you know anyone in the media who might want to cover this to bring more attention to it, because this woman was was completely wronged. Um, and I think it's also, in addition to the horrible pain and harm and embarrassment that was caused to this woman, um, it's worth discussing, like picking apart a little bit what happened um, in the context of the, the bigger context of systemic racism and how that the culture that upholds systemic racism um, plays out and, and showed up in this story. Now, I will mention that the flight attendant who was harassing her and the man who came on the plane, neither one of them were white. And I say this because it's real easy to understand that white people can suck and do things that are racist. And it's also really hard to see that people who are also on the on the lived, lived experience end of systemic racism, they can get all of this internalized and kind of play along with the system or, or work along with the system to marginalize other people. Um, so again, this is not to let white people off the hook at all. Um, this is all a symptom of a bigger issue, which is whiteness and white supremacism culture. 
Um, and it's not to say, oh, this is black on black crime or anything like that. It's just to say that like, even in this situation, when it wasn't just specifically white people harassing this woman, it still went down this way. And that's how pervasive this is. So the first thing I want to mention is the bias that showed up. Um, Maisha Claiborne, Dr. Maisha Claiborne, who's my conscious anti-racism partner, um, does a lot of really great work in bias. And, and she talks about the implicit bias is sort of like the filter with which we see the world. And our bot, our brains are just trying to filter. I don't know what she said, 17 million pieces of information a second or something like that. And so we have, our brains have to take these cognitive shortcuts and able, in order to be able to process the world around us. Otherwise it's too overwhelming. So we all have biases. Like, like everyone has biases. And so what I saw happen is that this flight attendant saw this woman who, and she was not a black woman, but she was not, she was a woman of color. She saw this woman who, who turned around, who might've been stretching, who might've been, have some back pain and grimaced, who knows what she did, but she interpreted that as threat, as danger, as this woman is giving me attitude. This woman is unsafe. This woman is a threat. That's her bias. She's bringing all of her like preconceived notions and everything, all the things that society has ingrained and bringing that into that moment and seeing that woman as a threat. Another thing to think about here is uh, there are characteristics of white supremacism culture and white supremacism culture is really just the culture that we have in this country that, that it's, in, it's the values and norms and beliefs that's baked into all of our systems from a like micro level all the way up to macro level that whiteness is good and safe and blackness is inferior and unsafe and, um, a threat. And then all of the other non-white um, identities are in there as well. Now there is work by Dr. Tema Okun, and I will put her website um, in the show notes. She wrote this article about the characteristics of white supremacism culture. So I am not, this is not my own work. Um, and it's incredible. And it really helps to see the, to show the way that like the culture of white supremacism, and this is different from white white nationalists, for example. This is not the same thing as the KKK. If you think about it like white supremacy, white supremacism culture as the fabric, and then you think about the KKK and white nationalism on the fringe, it's still part of the fabric, but you can have white supremacism culture without it being like a full-on hate group. So, or overt, or overt hate. Um, so one of the characteristics is the is a um, right to comfort. It's this in, in inherent sense that the people in power, so generally it's going to be people who are white, um, white males perhaps, uh, are have an inherent right to comfort. Everything should be done to make them comfortable. And that can get internalized for people who are not white to try to do everything they can to keep white people comfortable. Um, but basically, and also like perhaps in some sort of power dynamics, people also can feel that they have the right to be comfortable at all costs. So this woman was uncomfortable and her nervous system, most likely, because I'm not inside her nervous system, but there's a difference between threat and fear. And just because she thought this woman might be 
incorrectly thought this woman might be up to something, she's not, there's not actually a, th a threat there. There was nothing actually harmful to her life. She was just saw this woman thought she might be angry, but that doesn't mean there's actually something to be worried about. And so this woman was unable to, this flight attendant was unable to tolerate being uncomfortable with the way this woman looked at her, the black woman looked at her, which again, no one else noticed anything unseemly coming from this woman. And another thing is denial and defensiveness. So I did talk to the flight attendant and I told her, I said, you're in the wrong. You need to leave her alone. And she actually listened. But then what did she do? She kind of doubled down and went back in the, went back um, in the little, actually in the bathroom because it was a small plane and the jump seat was right in front of the bathroom and made a call and said, this woman was on her phone. She needs to, she, you know, we need to deal with this really like denial that there was, that she was doing anything wrong, denial that there was anything that she should be held accountable for. And then she, she didn't get defensive when I was talking to her, but then she doubled down and she was saying to me, we can't take off the plane when there's a conflict. We, you know, you know, we can't take off the plane when there's a conflict. Right. And I was like, well, no, I don't because there's no conflict here other than what you're escalating. So that's another uh, characteristic of white supremacism culture that showed up. And then I think, you know, and, and they're all in there, like they're, they're pretty much all in there, I would say, but another one is paternalism. And it's the like people in power think that they have a right to make decisions for people. They think they have the right and the ability to make decisions for people who are not in power. And they don't see anything wrong in doing that. And they don't even like see that they're doing that, except that the people who are not in power are very clear that they are not the ones that are making decisions, that they are not able to make their own decisions. And this flight attendant was being paternalistic. And again, you, we, we, we might sort of stereotype white men as the ones that are going to be paternalistic, but this can be internalized. This can be, this was a, a, a woman of color who was treating a black woman like this. And so she was like in her authority position as the flight attendant making decisions for this woman that like she, she had no, she, she was, in, in, you know, insisting that she knew what this woman was saying or doing. And this woman was denying it, but this flight attendant was like, no, no, I know better. You're the, you're, I know what you were saying or thinking. And I know you were causing trouble, even though she's denying it and she's being totally pleasant. And, and then the airplane, you know, the, the, the rest of the, whatever the chain of events was that took her off the plane they, they didn't care what this woman's preferences were or what her needs were or who she was as a person. They were just making decisions for her. And then all the rest of us are, you know, you, it's basically like you can't get up out of your plane, out of your seat. When the air, the plane is taxiing, you can't speak up. You can't do anything that's going to be perceived as a threat in order to defend this woman. Otherwise you're going to get arrested and kicked off the plane and like how far. So there's like, it's like a full lockdown of being able to challenge the behavior that's going on, if, especially if it's, if it's not um, equitable or if it's causing harm. So this is an example of literally a woman getting kicked off a plane because she was black, because I can guarantee if whatever, whatever she did that made that flight attendant come over, if she was a white woman, if she was a white man, she was probably at any other identity other than black it would have been fine. There would have been no issue at all. And, or if there had been an issue and the person said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm fine. Everything's okay. They would have been listened to. 
and the white man next to her who also had his phone on and was also in the middle of a call did not get kicked off the plane. So I think it's important, first off, takeaway, I think takeaway from this is noting bias, knowing that we all have bias. There is nothing wrong with having bias because we all have it. The problem is when we aren't able to recognize it and see that we're seeing other people's behaviors and actions through our own lens, and that doesn't mean that we're right and they're wrong. If we're not able to see the way that bias against Black people has been ingrained in us, and, and, and then we let that control the way that we behave or treat somebody, that's what's not okay. We have to take accountability for the biases that we have. And it is not a fun process. It feels very ugly, but everyone's got bias, every, every single identity. Some people have bias against their own identity. I certainly do. I'm, I am a Jewish woman and I have some internalized anti-Semitism. I have some biases against Jewish people. Am I proud of that? No, but I have them and I'm starting to become more and more aware of them. So there's just not like a, no one gets off the hook here. So first off, no, noting bias, noting, being aware of the anti, of the um, angry black woman stereotype. How many times have you seen a black person either, either being upset or not being upset, but just sort of been like, oh, they're, they're, they're just getting angry. Why are they so angry? Without even taking into consideration what they might be feeling. If they're, if they're actually angry, might there be some really, really good reasons for it? Might this be the 15th time that day that they have experienced some sort of harm or marginalization because of their race? And can we use that as a chance to like, be curious about that person's experience rather than judging it, knowing that that, that, and, and if there's a stereotype for angry black men as well, that, that, you know, that, that either one would be perceived as a threat. And it's like, there's this inability to tolerate strong emotions from like the, the bias makes it and and the white supremacism culture makes it very dangerous for any black person to express strong emotions in public because things like this can happen or worse. So paying really close attention to when we think we're writing someone off for a certain stereotype, do we actually know what's going on? And are we causing harm? Are we changing the way we're behaving because of it? And then I think another thing to think about is allyship. And it was, I, I really, I've been working very hard on that for a long time. And I still feel like I didn't do enough. And there were also a lot of other white folks around who didn't say anything. And I don't, you know, how far do I take it? Do I get kicked off the airplane? Like I'm with my family on the way to a family funeral. You know, do I get kicked off the airplane that night as we're delayed another hour and a half because of this? And then I have to go meet them tomorrow or am I like not allowed to ever fly Delta again? Like how how far do we take it? But I feel like this woman was not given a chance. She was treated completely unfairly. So speaking up whenever we can, using whatever influence we have, particularly, and I have a friend who is South Asian and she said, I don't know if I would have done that because I would have been too scared of how it would have happened, like what would have happened to me. And I think that's exactly right. I think that not all people are ability, not all, all identities have the privilege of being able to kind of cause trouble a little bit when stuff like this is happening in, or, in order to speak up. Because you can be sure that if what I had said, if I was a different identity, I probably would have gotten kicked off the plane and not even asked. So recognizing, like if you are a person who are, has a marginalized identity, 
and you don't feel safe, like legit, you don't feel safe in a situation. Don't put yourself, you know, like you, you make that call where you feel like you are able to intervene. And maybe you do that in a place where you do have power, like your workplace, if you are, you know, relatively high up in your organization, but maybe in the, in public like that, maybe it's just not going to be okay for you to do that. And for white folks listening, this is our chance to advocate and to speak up and to do it even when, even when there's risk. I question whether I should have taken it further and really like, I don't know what would have happened. And it was a kind of scary lockdown situation where they were being like, it, there was no room for anyone to like have an opinion, but I did, I, I did, I felt like what I could do in that moment. And there's always more to do. And that's, you know, it's a, it's a process and a journey, but knowing that like that kind of situation, no one in that organization, no one in that chain of command was advocating for that woman. Everyone was ready to just cart her off the plane and to believe whatever it was the flight attendant was saying. And no one was asking, no one was asking for witnesses or anything like that. So doing our best when we are in positions of privilege, whatever that looks like, it may not be for white people who aren't white. Again, that the privilege may be education privilege or citizenship privilege or some other privilege to use that for good when it, when it is um, something that when there's an opportunity to use that. So again, um, you know, this is a very challenging situation, very, very painful. Um, I do not have a way to contact the woman. I don't know how she's doing. I don't know what, if anything Delta has done to contact her, if they've even felt they needed to apologize or anything but I am really trying to get this information out there. So um, if you know of any, any again, any place where I can, um, if you wanna share this or connect me with anybody who can help bring this issue to light, please do so. I hope you uh, found this helpful. And if you are feeling activated by it, please do take care of yourself and reach out to someone um, who can, um, who you can talk to and, and just talk about how you're feeling. Thank you so much. Hi there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conscious Anti-Racism. Please be sure to follow or like us wherever you find your podcasts and also consider leaving a rating or review. You can follow Conscious Anti-Racism on Instagram and Twitter at Jill Wiener, MD, J-I-L-L-W-E-N-E-R-M-D. And please check out our Conscious Anti-Racism book on Amazon.